Well, hey, welcome to Central Christian Church Online. Uh, man, it is such a joy to be back with you. I want to thank those of you who, who've been praying for me, been out, out with COVID for a few weeks, but, uh, but it's great to be back. Appreciate the encouraging text from you guys and, uh, and especially for your prayers. So, so thanks for, um, yeah, just, just loving me, loving my family well, uh, through this, uh, challenging season. Well, man, I want to invite you to pull up the notes or to, uh, pull out your Bible, especially maybe a note pad, uh, take some notes as we're going to be back in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter one, as, we, as we've been, been studying uh, joy. We've been going verse by verse through this incredible book uh, written by the apostle Paul. And what a timely reminder Paul has been giving us through this book of Philippians. I don't know about you, but whenever I, I listen to a message like this, I want to uh, I want to take notes so I can refer back to it uh, throughout the week, throughout my devotional time. And so I think that's why having a Bible handy, having some some notes handy, so so we can pray through this. I want to give a shout out to Chris uh, Ferraro, uh, Michael Corral, Richard Rock. What a tremendous job they did the past three weeks, bringing incredible content to us. And and as I was home watching uh, with you online. Uh, man, I, I just appreciate having some notes. And so throughout the week, I'd be praying through the messages and the content they shared, and it kind of massages it into, into our hearts. So I, I invite you to participate uh, uh, throughout this message in that way. Uh, online, you have my notes that you can uh, add, add your notes uh, to and, and, and read through it, uh, uh, refer back to it throughout throughout the week. But this is a, this is an incredible book, the book of Philippians, four short chapters in this, this incredible book. But, but Paul's going to teach us about delighting in the Lord. He's going to teach us about how we can live with a sense of well-being and satisfaction that is not contingent on our circumstances, that you and I can live a life of joy. Uh, I believe happiness is based on happenstance. It's, it ebbs and flows with as life goes, but joy is different. Joy is steadfast. Joy is consistent. In the midst of life's highs, in the midst of life lows, you can live a life of joy. Uh, when I first found out I had COVID, I had a buddy text me and he said, hey, hey, now you get to you get to practice what you've been preaching because your circumstances aren't super joyful, but you can still maintain maintain joy in the midst of, of being sick. And you know what? He's right. He's absolutely correct. And that's what we see through the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul is in circumstances that are far millions of miles away from ideal. But over and over again, Paul says he has Joy. Matter of fact, he, uh, Paul is in difficult circumstances, but 14 times in four short chapters, Paul's going to use the word joy or rejoice. In the first 11 verses, Paul has already given us seven keys to unlocking joy in life. And today he's going to give us another principle, and, and it is this, this, this kind of mountaintop experience, the joy of sharing Jesus as followers of Jesus, you know, there's nothing in the world like being able to share Jesus. If I were to ask you to reflect back over your life uh, and, and I were to ask you, what, what was the top, some of the top five, maybe joyous experiences of your life? 
Uh, for many of us would perhaps be our, our marriage, our wedding day, maybe when you had kids, maybe you had grandkids, maybe when you got, got that puppy and brought that, that little puppy home. Uh, but as I reflect on my life, man, some of my top experiences was being able to share Jesus. I remember as a, a brand new follower of Jesus, the first time I led my buddy, one of my, my dudes I grew up with, to Jesus. I mean, I was like, I was a follower of Jesus for like a couple weeks. I remember going to my pastor and asking a guy like me, what do I say? Like, I don't even know the Bible, but, but I want my friends to experience the joy that I've been experiencing. I want my friends to experience Jesus because in Jesus, I found freedom. What do I say? I don't know script. Like, what do I do? How do I do this thing of like sharing my faith? He was like, Tim, you know what? You don't need to know any scriptures. Just share your story. Just share what Jesus has done for you. And so I, and he's like, I was like, well, okay. Well, like, what if he wants to like follow God? What do I say then? And he's like, well, just tell him how you started following God. So I was like, okay. So I remember sitting in my truck uh, with, with, with my buddy next to me. And I just told him how God had changed my life. And I was like, dude, I, I, want you, I want you to know God. I want you to experience what I have. Do you, do you want that? He's like, yeah, I do. And so right there, I remember in my truck, just led him to, to, to Jesus. And, and it's one of the greatest moments of my life. And I'm sure as you've shared Jesus with people, as you've led people to Christ, as you reflect back on your life, it's one of the most joyous mountaintop experiences you and I can ever have. Not only knowing that we're making a difference for their lives right here and now, but for all of eternity, what greater joy. And honestly, in ministry, there's, there's a lot of highs and lows, but nothing gives me greater joy. Nothing gets me out of bed in the morning like knowing my life's about to make a difference today. I'm gonna live on mission and help people find and follow Jesus. And so we're gonna see today that one of the keys to Paul's life, one of the keys to Paul living a life of joy is living laser focused on helping people find and follow Jesus. Hey, hey before we jump into our, our text today, we're gonna be in Philippians chapter one, looking at, at verses 12 through 14. But before we go there, uh, Let's pray together. Let's pray that God would open, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to receive his word today. Well, God, we thank you so much for, for truth of scripture. We thank you, God, for your word that's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So today, God, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray, God, that as, as we tune in from all over the world in this moment, united in this online service, that, God, you would challenge our hearts to be in alignment with your heart that might be people that please you and people that have the joy of letting more and more people find you and follow you. I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's dive into to, to our scripture today. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Paul writes this. He says, And now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Today, I want to give you, give you three principles that result in joy. We're going to get one principle from each of these verses. And the first one is this. Here's the first principle that we can know God will bring triumph through our trial. That we can know without a doubt that God can, he will bring triumph through our trial. 
You know, I, I, I can know with confidence, you can know today with confidence, whatever trial you're facing, that you can walk through it knowing that God can bring triumph through your trial, that God can bring triumph and turn seasons of testing into testimonies. All of us face trials. You know, I had a, a, one of my, my dearest friends, I was going through a season that was, was very trying. It was a difficult time. He said, hey, you know what, Tim? Here's the reality of life. You're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into one. And I said to myself, I need to find new friends. Uh, but, but that is really the reality, isn't it? Like, like today, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into one. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, that in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult seasons, God can bring triumph through your trials. Paul is writing this and, and he's, he's living with this mindset. He's living through a very serious trial. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What, well, what has happened to Paul? What did they know that, that perhaps we, we don't know today? Well, we're not going to look at these, these scriptures, but you can read it in Acts chapter 21 through, through 26, what has happened to Paul and exactly what he means. I'm just going to give you an overview of what, what has happened to him. It was in Jerusalem that Paul is with some believers there and he goes to the temple. He's actually going to make an offering and uh, there's tension with, with Jewish religious leaders and the apostle Paul and they stir up trouble for him. While he's in the temple, they, they convince other people that Paul has brought Gentiles, people like you and me, non-Jewish people into the temple, which would have been, been very offensive to them. They stirs up trouble for them and they actually form a mob. They start to riot and they're trying to beat Paul to death in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the Roman commander gets word of this. He sends in Roman soldiers and in the midst of a riot, they rescue Paul while people are literally trying to kill them, him with, with their fists for absolutely doing nothing wrong. The, these Roman soldiers hoist Paul up and they, they carry him out of this mob and they put him in chains. The Roman commander is about to beat Paul. He's about to uh, have him punished and, and, and not only chained, but, but, but beaten when he finds out that Paul's a Roman citizen. And at this time, Roman citizens could not be tried, could not be chained, could not be beaten without first having a trial. So the Roman commander goes to these uh, Jewish leaders like, hey, what's going on? Why are you trying to kill this man? And realizes that there's nothing against Paul. They have no case against Paul, no reason for his, his murder. Paul's held in a, in a jail cell and, and they get word that, that these Jewish men, these religious leaders have taken vows. These, a group of men took vows saying, hey, we're not going to eat until Paul is dead. And so they, they can, can conspire this plan that whenever Paul is going to be going to his trial, they're going to plan his assassination. Well, Paul gets word of this. He shares it with the commander. The commander finds out that this is true. And so, so with a, a group of soldiers, the commander hears about this. He sends a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, and they escort Paul to the Roman governor in Caesarea outside of Jerusalem. Caesarea is on the Mediterranean coast. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. That's where the Roman governor resides. Paul presents his case to this Roman governor. The Roman governor realizes there is nothing at fault with Paul, no reason for him to be in jail. But because of the political tension, he sits in jail for two years. That, that governor is replaced. A new governor comes in. Paul presents his case to this new governor. He also says, hey, there's no reason for Paul to be here. He's an innocent man. 
but he, he doesn't render a verdict for Paul either. And so Paul remains in jail and Paul realizes that he is caught in local politics. He appeals then to Caesar. It was the right of every Roman citizen to appeal to the emperor and have their, their case presented to Caesar in Rome. So Paul says, hey, I appeal to Caesar. The Roman governor then says, hey, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. You are innocent man, but you've appealed to Caesar. Now I got to ship you off to Rome. Paul can't get on a plane and fly there. So he literally travels by land and by sea. And while traveling, shipped there, he is shipwrecked at sea on the verge of dying with this whole crew in the middle of the ocean. Paul miraculously survives only to get on land and be bit by a poisonous viper that should have taken his life, but he's miraculously spared. All this on the way to Rome, two years of his life has passed. And now he lands in Rome to have a case presented that he should not be arrested for in the first place. I mean, you think about this. This is Paul's journey, shipwrecked at sea, almost dies at sea. He's, he's been, had his life nearly beaten out of him in Jerusalem by, by, by religious people. He's been held in, in jail for two years, and now he's in Rome. We read this in Acts twenty-eight sixteen that when, when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. And so Paul here, he's on house arrest. He's not like a typical prisoner. He's not with the, the common prisoners. He's, he's appealed to Caesar. So he's, he's on guard. Think of it as, as house arrest, but not like house arrest that we have today. He doesn't have like the ankle bracelet on, uh, but rather he is guarded by a Roman soldier 24 seven. He is a room by himself, one room where his bed, his toilet, uh, everything that he eats, he sleeps all this in one cell. That is Paul's house arrest experience, far from luxurious accommodations. Acts 28, 20 says, says for this reason, uh, when I asked to see you and talk with you, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in chains. So Paul is allowed to have some visitors uh, but he wants them to know like, hey, I, I'm in chains. Uh, not only am I in isolation, not only am I in house arrest, not only am I guarded 24-7 by this Roman guard, but, but I am also in chains for Christ. Think about this. Four years at this point, when Paul's writing this letter to the church of Philippi, four years of his life have gone. He's been in captivity, he's unjustly, four years waiting to have a decision made. He, and at this point, as he's writing this, he's like, he's like, I might be beheaded. He's like, I don't know. I think I'm going to go free, but, but I don't know. This could be the end for me. Four years of his life, nearly beaten to death by a mob, falsely accused, held in jail with no solution due to local politics, shipwrecked, almost died on multiple occasions. And no doubt his ministry that he envisioned is a million miles from where he thought it would be. In the midst of all this, Paul has joy. You say, well, well how do you know that? Well, we read it here in Philippians 1, uh, 4. Let's pull that up on the slide. It says, I always pray for you with joy. And because of this, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. Hey, I want you to know you too should be glad and rejoice with me. In the midst of all I'm going to, I still have joy. I want you to have joy too. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. How could Paul say that? After all he's been through for the past four years, Paul's a man who continues. He makes the choice. I'm going to be a man of joy. I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to lead myself here. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. He doubles down in case you missed it. Rejoice. So what are you going through? What trials are you facing? 
Paul says, hey, in the midst of all that I'm facing, in the midst of all life can throw us, in the midst of terrible circumstances, this can be our reality. He's living an example for us as he's writing to the Philippians. Uh, I want to ask you a question. When life doesn't go as planned, how does that impact your outlook on life? When life sends you down paths that you would not have chosen, how does that affect you? When you get the report about the illness, what does that do to you? When you don't get the promotion. In life, it's not so much about what happens to us that determines our joy. It's what we value in life that determines our joy and how we view our situation that we're in. So let me ask you, what's most important to you? What what do you value the most? Can you say with Paul, when everything is taken from my life, when my plans are a million miles from where I thought they would be, when my health is at risk, when my privacy is removed, when I'm, when I'm away from my family and no longer able to be with them, when, when unjust things are happening to me, as long as I can witness for Jesus, as long as my testimony is bringing others to Jesus in the midst of any circumstance I can face, as long as people are coming to Christ, I'm okay with that. That's where the Apostle Paul is at. What an incredible statement of faith and trust, knowing that God is going to bring triumph through his trials. What Paul's doing for us here is he's living out Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know. This word know is an interesting word. It's a word that's based on experience. It's, It's I know. You cannot tell me otherwise. I've experienced this. I know it. I've seen it lived out in my life. Like you can't tell me anything else because I, I know it. I've, I, it's part of who I am. Paul says, and we know that God causes all things, the good things, the bad things, the pleasant things, the horrific things to work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Listen, if you're a child of God, you're a follower of Jesus. This is a promise for you to hold on to. All things are working together for your good. In every trial, God's going to turn it to triumph. How? We know it because he's done it before and he'll do it again all things. If you're a follower of Jesus, what a tremendous promise. Back to Philippians 1.12, Paul says, and I want you to know, uh, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The gospel continues to advance. No doubt the church of Philippi, they're, they're literally hundreds of miles away from Paul at this time. And they're, they're probably wondering like, 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 God, why Paul? Like he was such a weapon for the kingdom. God, we've never seen a church planner like him. We've never seen a theologian like him. God, what a great teacher. How could you allow that guy to go to prison? How could you allow him to be in chains? How could you allow him to be in isolation for four years? God, God, what's going on? And no doubt they're wondering, how's Paul's mental state? Like, how's his morale? I wonder if Paul still believes any of this. I mean, gosh, it's one thing to follow Jesus when things are good, but whenever you're in prison and, and shipwrecked and beaten and all, all these things are happening to you, what does that do to your spirituality? And Paul says, I want to write you. He's writing them to let them know that, hey, you might have thought I was discouraged. You might have thought I was questioning God. You might have thought I was ready to quit. You might have thought I was, I was questioning my calling. You might have thought I was sitting in jail cell having a pity party. You might have thought I was saying, God, where are you in all this? How unjust is this government? You might have thought I've been trying to raise a revolt against the officials. But Paul says, I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know, that what's happened to me Everything we just talked about has only served for one thing, to advance the gospel. Advance. 
that, that word advance, in some of your Bibles, it, it might be translated progress, to advance the gospel, to progress the gospel, to push the gospel forward. It's an interesting word. It, it, it carries this imagery of an army of military troops who are taking a hill. They're, they're continuing to take the post. They're, they're charging ahead while enemy fire is raining down on them. They're like, they're advancing in the face of opposition. The gospel continues to advance. Uh, Paul's like, it's not pleasant. It's not easy. It's not smooth sailing, but the gospel continues to advance. I'm, I'm taking shots from the outside. I'm taking shots from the inside, but the gospel continues to advance. In secular Greek literature, this, this word advance is used of an explorer. And so think of an explorer like on a brink of a jungle, like there's no pathway forward, but this explorer is going to advance. And so he takes out his machete and he's hacking away through. He's blazing a new trail. The gospel continues to advance. Paul wants you to know that as followers of Jesus, we can live with this mindset. We can, we can choose to say, you know what, God, I'm a purpose in my heart. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to help people find you and follow you. No matter what crisis, no matter what trial I'm facing, the gospel will advance on my watch. It reminds me of uh, John Bunyan. He's a, a, not Paul Bunyan. That's the guy with the blue ox. Uh, but John Bunyan was a great Puritan preacher. And he was arrested for having illegal church services uh, at his time. And so he was put into the Bedshire County jail, county prison. And from his jail cell, he, he would shout out the jail cell, the gospel. He would help people find and follow God while in prison. And hundreds of people began to gather outside of his jail cell to hear his sermons. People were getting saved in droves while, while John Bunyan was in jail. And so he would shout the gospel helping people. He's like, hey, you know what? In the midst of opposition, the gospel will advance on my watch. And the, the guards didn't like it. The officials didn't like it. So they, they, they locked John Bunyan in the innermost cell where no one could hear him, where no one could see him, where, where his voice could not carry to those on the outside. And from that jail shell in Bedshire, uh, he, he wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress. And from that one book, millions of people have gotten saved. I'm just saying the gospel will advance. If you live with this purpose in your heart on my watch, I believe God can bring triumph through my trial. And no matter what happens to me, the gospel will advance. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what unjust thing you feel is happening to you today. I don't know where in life you, it's not going according to your plan. But I want to say this, God wants to advance the gospel through it. God can bring triumph through your trial if you let him. You might be sick. God wants to advance the gospel. You might be going through a divorce. God wants to advance the gospel. You might have lost your job. God wants to use it to advance the gospel. You might be going through it with your kids. God wants to use this season to advance the gospel. You might be wrestling with an addiction and trying to find freedom. God wants to use your situation to advance the gospel. You might be going through the most difficult time of your life. God desires to use this trial to bring about triumph. He desires to advance the gospel. You say, well, how does that work? How, how, how can that even take place? Well, that's our second point. And our second point is this. We can know that people will see or meet Christ through our crisis. We can know with confidence that people will see or meet Christ through our crisis as we purpose in our heart to, to live a life that pleases him. 
Through that crisis, you're going to meet people that you would never meet otherwise. Uh, Because you're going through that difficulty, uh, you're going to have a story. You're going to have a testimony of how God helped you in your time of need. You're going to have perspective. You're going to have wisdom to share with others that will later go through what you're currently experiencing because you're walking through this crisis. The Apostle Paul, he would write this, as a result, as a result, as a result of what? As a result of everything that we just talked about. I want to challenge you today, whatever trial you're, you're going through, to get a journal and just maybe one or two sentences. I want you to write the trial. What, what's going on uh, on December 17th, 2021, or whatever, whatever day you're, you're listening to this, watching this. And I want you to write, write here, here's the trial I'm going through, and then date it. And then here's what I want you to write underneath it. Three words, as a result, dot, dot, dot. And as you purpose in your heart to follow Jesus, to live a life that, that pleases him, as you walk through the crisis, as you walk, walk through the trial, I want you to come back in weeks to come and say, as a result, here's who I met. As a result, here's who got saved. As a result, I was able to pray for them. As a result, I was able to share hope with them. As you walk through that crisis, people will see and meet Christ. Philippians 1, 13, back to that text, it says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains. I am in chains for Christ. At this time, the, the Romans, they would use what is called a hallucis. A hallucis was simply an 18-inch an chain. And on one, one hand, uh, Paul would have a, have a cuff. On the other hand would be a Roman soldier. And so, so this hallucis, this 18-inch chain, was on Paul 24-7, 365. I want you to think about this. Some of you have a hard time sleeping with your dog in bed with you or with your spouse in bed with you. But 24-7, as Paul's trying to sleep, he's chained to a Roman guard. As he's, he's trying to eat his food, he's chained. As he's, he's trying to write this letter to the church of Philippi, he's in chains. As he's praying, he's chained. As he's fasting, he's chained. When he's trying to take care of his business, he's chained. When he's bathing, he's chained. I mean, how humiliating would this be? This is Paul's life. I want, I want you to know everyone else, I'm in, I'm in these chains and this for one reason, for Christ. Chained. He says this in, in this same verse. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. The whole palace guard. Some of your Bibles translate this imperial guard. Some of your, your Bibles translate this praetorium guard, which would be a more accurate uh, 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 translation. This is Paul is chained to a praetorium, praetorium guard. Uh, These would have been Caesar's special troops, men hand-selected to guard Caesar and the leaders around Caesar. These were men of great valor. These are men of great character. These are men of great courage. These are men who are hand-picked for one of the most high-profile positions in the Roman army. No doubt uh, today we have politicians that have, have their life threatened on a daily basis. Well, think about this. Roman is the epicenter of the world. It's the, the world's powerhouse at this time. So imagine all the assassination attempts on Caesar. Well, it's the praetorium guard's job to guard Caesar, to take, take shots for Caesar, to, to, to take the poison for Caesar, to protect him and people around him at all costs. Praetorium guards, they would have committed to a 12-year term. And at the end of their 12 years, if they lived, they would have received a large sum of money 